You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Good morning. Good morning, Kirk. How's your day? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, how, how's your day, Bracken? Uh, not as scripted. I've had a weird morning. All right. Well, it's only like 11 a.m., so can't imagine what's all transpired. All I wanted to do was get a midweek long run in today. Okay. That's it. I've We talked last week was week one of my new build, but I was so trashed from COVID and high rock still that it was like a 50% week. So this is really week one in in actuality, and the schedule now is midweek long run plus Metcon on Monday. Okay. Now I know that you don't go off a seven day week, but Monday is not midweek. I do. I'm I'm following a seven day week for the next 10 weeks. Oh, so a midweek long run on a Monday is a little bit of a oxymoron. Contradictory. It's really a medium long run. Okay. Okay. It's ingrained in us to say midweek long run. It is. So my Thursday is now my Monday. So what happened? Well, the plan was to get up and get out. We got snow finally. I can run snowy trails. And Ayla came into the room last night all sad. Amira came in and four people in bed. Like we have a we have a king size bed, but it's still you don't get great sleep. So I took Ayla, took her back to her bed, stayed in there, and every time I tried to get out of bed this morning, she'd like whimper and cuddle up to me. Aww. And she's seven or about to be seven. And I just don't know how many more years I have of my daughters wanting to cuddle me. So I just stayed in bed and I took it. And so I got started late. So I had to do it on the treadmill. You are melting a lot of hearts over there, Bracken. A lot of hearts Good. melting right now. Because if it really, it means that I just kept hitting the snooze on my alarm. But for endearing reasons, I don't know what I would tell an athlete. Like we hear excuses all the time as coaches. And we need mm-hmm. to call bluffs. But if I had an athlete describe that to me as the reason why they didn't get their run in, I don't know how I would react, but I don't think it would be negatively. Well, we, Lisa and I are very, very on the same page that we're done having kids. So like every stage we go through now is the final stage. And I'm trying to hang on to the, the young mm-hmm. cuddly stage as long as possible. But tried ordering Lisa right before my run. I, I paid our... Um, our real estate taxes are in our city taxes. And because for, for the first time this year, when we refinanced and we're not escrowing anymore. So I had to do all that manually. Sweet. And that was the first time I did that. So I did that and then went online and finally got Lisa a new phone. She's been wanting a new phone. But it's this big hassle because my sister had is the account holder. Got it. We joined her on a family plan. But then she went over to Sweden. And so I went in. I didn't realize I wasn't authorized. So on Lisa's birthday, I tried to get her a new phone. And I'm not even allowed to to buy anything for our account because I'm not an account authorized user. Yeah. So over the weekend, I tried to get it done. We got locked out of the account for 24 hours for too many (laughs) wrong passwords. So finally this morning, I got it done, submitted that, and hopped on the treadmill. And immediately started getting my, my phone started blowing up. I was using it. 
in front of me to control the TV on, on the Roku app. So I was seeing the, the notifications come in. And usually mm-hmm. I don't touch my phone when I'm in the middle of a workout. But it was from my sister and T-Mobile and my bank. Uh-oh. What'd you do? What? Well, I made a $4,300 uh, transfer this morning of our taxes. And then so to right after make a six or $700 phone purchase um. online through an account holder in sweden they just are like this is too much this morning so they froze everything oh that's the worst instead of asking me first they just canceled so i had to quick undo those try to undo those things but i'm trying to use my sister in sweden as the as the third party and then i was on the phone with t-mobile while running on the treadmill so then i switched to power hiking and i'm sweating all over my phone and i couldn't get my bluetooth headphones to pick up but i didn't want to miss my midweek long run oh man but it wasn't supposed to be a power hike. It was supposed to be a run. I get you. And they put me on hold, and Mira comes downstairs holding her hair and says, Um, so there's gum in my hair. <laughs> Lisa's out for a run. Oh, man. So I, I, I decided it was a bad idea to try to take care of the gum in her hair while running on the treadmill. So I hopped off, had to pause the workout, tried to deal with the gum in the hair, it was like in between, so I tried to get as many strands out as possible, but I'm sweating all over her, and eventually I had to just cut the rest of the gum out, and then T-Mobile picked back up, and so I had to go through all that, and then tried to get it done, and I didn't. I ran out of time. <laughs> that I sounds like stressful. I had a 90-minute window, and I got a 45-minute run-in, so now I have to finish the rest of my workout after my afternoon meetings. But I still have my Metcon to hit today, so it's going to have to lead one into the other. So, Happy Monday. It was a mess of a run, Kirk. And that's why you don't have your phone in front of you when you work out. That sounds stressful hearing that. And that's exactly right. I have to like turn off all notifications because I'm compulsive and type A enough to want to get mm-hmm. to things right away. And then if it were those three things, which are very important, oh, yeah, that would have totally screwed my workout up. Well... I'm sorry to hear that. At least it wasn't a quality uh, a quality session or intervals or tempo or threshold or something in which really would have pissed you off. Well, in, in reality, had it been a quality workout, I wouldn't have been watching YouTube. I wouldn't Fair. have been using my Roku app. The phone would have been away. And we talked about this a long time ago in that Things the Pros Do series. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that when the workout starts, the phone's gone and you're just focused. Yep. And I didn't today and I paid the price. So That's okay. <sighs> What it is, is it's a test. This is a test of how badly I want to follow the plan because on day one, I already was interrupted in my midweek long run. And so I'm being tested of how much do I want to finish that run and get my Metcon in. Well, I guess the real question is your fitness is going to be fine. We both know that. So did you take care of the phone? Is all that taken care of? No, because she's still the account holder. So after I got off the phone, they're like, well, just give us the credit card number right now and we'll go through. I'm like, well, I... I'm on the treadmill right now and my wife has the car and the card is with her in the car. So can you just, can I just do this online? And there was a little bit of a language barrier on this call to start with. Mm -hmm. And basically said, okay, sir, it's all set. You just check your email and you can just enter your information there and it'll be all good. And I said, no, that's I'm not the account holder. It's not my email. She's in Sweden and she's had, she has her own stuff going on over there. So she said, okay, sounds good. Just check the email. And then we were done. So, the email still got bounced to my sister in Sweden, and she's six hours ahead, so she's in the middle of practice and maybe traveling to a game right now. So 
I'm not going to get the email until whenever she gets it and then forwards it to me. So no, it's not actually taken care of. So I ruined the workout and, but I did get to double check with the bank that my tax payment was not canceled because that's due today, which is why I paid it today rather than any other time I had available to do it over the last three weeks. You don't want to be a financial delinquent. And did the gum get out of the hair? Did you have to pull out the peanut butter? Uh, I eventually just cut it out. Yeah, I got um, I got gum stuck in my mullet when I was like nine. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep with it in my mouth and uh, a big wad of uh, bubblicious and woke up to that thing. I mean, it turned my it was like so stuck it like turned my mullet into a rat tail. <laughs> it was like one of those or a little ponytail, and I thought I'd get in trouble, so I just snipped that thing out myself. And, uh, yeah. That was the end of the mullet for a little bit. So I can I I feel for her. Feel for her. I didn't go to mommy and daddy though. I was I was a little scared of the reprimand, which they would never have done anyways. But I was very proud of her because she is the child that would absolutely just take the scissors to her hair, and she didn't. She did the right thing. So, mm-hmm. one that saving is, grace for this morning. I guess. That is, the, and, and I think the right thing is always to cut off a mullet. So I think I actually did the right thing <laughs> as well. <laughs> you did two right things. You cut off the mullet and you salvaged a rat tail out of it. I did. Yeah, I rocked that rat till till sixth grade. Um, all right. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about um, just a little bit of this weekend's ongoings with uh, uh, the big track meet and and maybe Spartans opener in SoCal? Yeah, but but I I have to retract my apology first. Right, because I saw exactly what happened in Jacksonville. Go ahead. This is why you don't ever apologize ever. No. Nope. <laughs> because now after I apologize for saying age group athletes aren't going to be you know, run out of town by pros who no longer have the the races. It turned out the races are not, there aren't going to be elite races at a bunch of events. So I came on and apologized. And now we find out that it's been backtracked again. And there are going to be elite races at every venue, just no awards for some of them. Right. So I'm not even backtracking the apology because I feel like we're going to be at this place again in a few weeks when the final decision gets made. But the reality is right now, <laughs> The, t- the pro athletes will always have a race to run in as of this morning. So maybe we just never apologize again. I'm I'm all for that. I definitely think you just let them take whatever you have to say and chew on it, and that's that. But I will say with SoCal and seeing the results come in, I went out for a uh, like a fartlek-style run on Saturday, and I got back, and the race had just started because it's Pacific time, so we're ahead here. So, um, And I had a nice Saturday effort. Um, in which I felt good and relaxed and immediately had FOMO watching the results come in. You know, it was a real race, as we suspected. Ryland, Shadig, and Hot Call are going to be a problem. But I was impressed with the results. Did you keep up with things this weekend? I did. Yeah. I did, which was very difficult to do. Yeah. Well, we know Glenn Race is in good shape, and he ended up third and second um, behind uh, with, with a decent gap in there. I thought it was a nice opener. Um, Faye Morgan, Faye Morgan was healthy and picked right up where she left off, dominating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the men's field was a little more more dense um, than the female oh, yeah. side, but she won with authority. So I was I was impressed with that. Um, I don't know if you know if this race is indicative of what's to come, but it's a slow style course in a sense. So um, fast running. I think the sprint was one in twenty minutes, which is fast i mean 20 minutes is it's very fast that's about as fast as any course i've ever heard of 
It must have stuck true to the the 5K distance, I'm assuming, didn't go over. And, yeah, it was it was cruising, which I don't mind. If we're going to have a sprint and it really is going to be 20 minutes, let's go rip it up. I I approve of that. But just impressive mm-hmm. showing by Ryland both days to go back-to-back. Hawk can't run on Sundays, I believe, so he, he bowed out. But good race up front, good depth through. I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening, man. I think I think we're going to see just with, like, for some reason we feel this emphasis on, like, less races paying out. We have Jacksonville coming up, and we have Arizona coming up in the same weekend. That's the end of February, mid-February. I just think at these races we're going to see, like, a host of real contenders showing up for most races of the year, even if they're not series races. Um, after feeling FOMO, I'm considering going to Jacksonville or maybe Arizona that weekend just to go – rip like it sounds like fun i think there's going to be there's always going to be names at these events i could be wrong but i think i think it's going to air more on more competitive races consistently i don't know what you think yeah i i think that less big races means that people can go race their local races whenever they want yeah rather than saying well there's a big race coming up in a few weeks i shouldn't race this weekend now if there's only four or five legitimate big races a year why not go race more? I think so. And I, th- I just think people are like, will be willing to travel to races that aren't part of a series, like the top guys just to get their fix. You have to be a little pickier and choosier. For example, here in the Midwest, um, we have nothing on the schedule, like not mm-hmm. literally nothing. Uh, the closest race to me is, is 15 hours in a car. Yeah. I mean, that's not even, you can't even count that. So yeah, point being is like guys like me, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to pick some of these races and hope that a few guys show up and and get some real battles in. I don't know. I I don't think I'm looking at like, like somebody like me who is tier three. I'm not looking to cherry pick because I don't think that's going to be an option this year is what I'm sort of getting at. I think that we're going to have, we're going to have races worth paying attention to, which I think is good. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, this, this weekend was surprising for me when I heard Hawk was going and Rylan, I thought we're like, this starts, this starts Hawk's run in this sport. Like he might just start out the next version that we saw with Hobie, which is come in and win everything. Mm-hmm. Especially after Ryland posted that picture of of uh, that like the the feeling you get when you realize the course is thirteen hundred feet of vert rather than thirty five hundred. And it was like eight hundred feet of vert, I think. Eight hundred in the super. I think so. And so right away that tells me the guy who lives and does a ton of mountain running at big altitude in Utah is not going to have a chance against Hawk, who just finished his senior year of of cross country. Mm -hmm. So for Ryland to go out and beat Hawk at a non-climbing race, at first I thought, oh, thank goodness, Hawk isn't just going to come and blast us all away. And then you get that thought of, oh, my goodness, maybe Ryland (laughs) – is way better at running than we gave him credit for. So maybe it's not relieving for anything. It's Hawk's still going to be good, and Ryland's better than we thought he was going to be. Yeah. Would you have bet on Ryland beating Hawk in a flat-ish race? Well, I think I think it started with, like, you know, like that 800 feet of climbing was in the first, like, third of the race. It was pretty much all, and then it was flat flat out. So I guess mm-hmm. I could see in the climbing but sense. Hawk can climb. No, it's we true. saw him in Utah leading. That's a good point. Um, no, I wouldn't have. But Rylan is, you know, very new. And despite coming off of injury, like, his curve is still going to be exponential. Where Hawk has been running periodized, purposeful work collegiately um, for the last four years or five years. I don't know how long it's been for him. So the curve is actually in Rylan's favor when you talk about growth. Um, 
and even coming off of injury. Well, Rylan, Rylan was a low mileage, you know, athlete, mountain biking a lot, cross training a lot. The injury didn't set him back a ton. Um, in that sense. So, I mean, I can make sense of this now after the fact, of course, but the answer is no, I would not have expected Ryland to beat Hawk in this race based on what we know. So even more impressive. Well, if you're new to both those names, we have interviews with both of them in our archive. So go back, listen to Ryland's, listen to Hawk's and get acquainted with two faces who are going to be a fixture of the endurance world for probably the next decade or two. Yeah. Really made me want to stick my nose in there. Like really made me want to stick my nose in there and see if I had a chance or not. My intuition says yes, but we'll find out later on, I guess. Um, now, you talked, you promoted watching, so we've given a few, you know, race updates. You promoted a track meet that was on TV. One of the, a lot of the big dogs showed up, and we got some televised track this weekend. What happened there? Well, first of all, we had a televised track meet, which doesn't happen in the U.S. <laughs> very often. True. I usually have to stream it via, you know, the the Diamond League meets from some European pirated stream because us doesn't get that so it was awesome to watch and we got most of the highlight events shown and in terms of u.s track meet coverage they did a really good job the commentating was was all right and they only cut away i think from one race in the middle of the race which usually they cut away from distance events constantly because yep. that's what they do and there's probably not that many distance fans out there who are compared to sprint fans or or whatever mm-hmm. else so but no i was i was i thought it was good i was i was impressed with it and there it kind of reinforced that there's a changing of the guard at the u.s and semi-national level that the old dogs they weren't they weren't the the studs anymore for the most part the young crop of athletes not just in the u.s but worldwide when you look at like inga britson and even some of like the africans uh, our guys like Hawker and Tier and and that whole host of athletes, it's it's incredible. We have a host of athletes like under 22 years old that are the best in the world right now. And a lot of them, I mean, Africans are always going to be in there, but like a lot of them are non-African, which is pretty fantastic because yeah. there was a period there in the 90s and early 2000s where all you saw were Africans in the front of absolutely everything. And I feel like that's changed a little bit. We're finally catching up, so to speak. Yeah, the 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 East African dominance still exists on the roads for the most part. Yep. But the track is a very interesting place right now. And there were some cool things, like Nick Willis was in the race. I don't know if you saw, but he was running with his protege, Hobbs Kessler, who is 18 or 19. Yeah. They both ran, and they both broke four in the mile. Hobbs broke four? Yeah, and he has in the past. Right. But Nick broke four for the 20th straight year. Sub four mile, 20 straight years. Now, I'm on 18 years of sub five. <laughs> and he is on 20 years of sub four. What is is he about my, my age? 38. Eight? Yeah, 38. Can you imagine injury, sickness, life circumstances, an off year, None of that. 20 years in a row breaking four. Has any other like American athlete done that? Do we know of this? I don't think we have a, an American athlete who's ever done that, no. Yeah, I don't think so. What is he? He's just uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. It's incredible. But he might as well be an American athlete. He's, he's trained and competed here for so long. 
Hobbs Kessler is an impressive one, watching him in the Olympic trials in the 1500. Really, he just ran out of like legs because the dude doesn't race rounds and he has not many miles on his legs, but he, he ran like he owned his trials race, which is pretty fantastic. I want to see him succeed. So what other noteworthy things happened at the race? I did not watch, so you're, I'm leaning on you here. Well, uh, the 3K was won by um, Gordy Beamish, okay. who was not the favorite. And he outkicked Hawker and Tier and snuck by on the inside on the last lap. I saw that. Watch. He said that he knew they'd go wide. Yeah. Which they always do. And he snuck in lane one along the line, right? It's actually a pet peeve of mine that you're allowed to, on the home stretch, on the final lap, move out lane one, lane two, lane three, as far as you want. We've had, I think, Paul Chalimo finished a race in like lane five outdoor one year, lane six. Trying to push people out. Yeah, to, to make them go wider around you. When any other time in the race, Running is really quick to DQ you for impeding a runner's stride. But suddenly on the home stretch, it's all bets are off. That's not the, who the fastest wins. You can just cut someone off. I don't like it. So I liked to see someone get punished for swinging wide. And you know, though, the number of times that Cole Hawker is snuck on the inside mm-hmm. is actually impressive. So to see that move pulled on him, and I'm a big Cole Hawker fan, don't get me wrong. It's just a little ironic, just a little funny, because he's done it to so many before. Yeah, Aji Wilson won i think her 16th straight 800 meters on u.s soil she's she's probably the only of the old guard who showed up there and did did great all the rest it's changing to the guard matt matt centrowitz was not there he's a past winner and you know nick willis spent almost two decades as one of the top five milers in the world didn't really do anything of note other than you know accomplish a streak but you know, he was running 349, 350 indoors for years, and now he's running 359, and that takes you out of the race. So yep. there are a lot of young athletes looking good and a lot of old athletes who are finally looking old. Yeah. Let's not echo those same sentiments over here, Bracken. No, let's not. Uh-uh. So the future is bright, but it's a little sad just for me to watch the people I grew up with idolizing kind of out, out of the sport or on their way out. Yeah. You know, what's interesting when you, when you look aside from like the best in the world or the country at this sport, you go back and you look at your classmates you ran in college with. I do this often, um, not with intention, but we're friends on social media platforms, follow each other on Strava and some really talented athletes who were all American or speed demons in college who now work and have kids in a life. It's just amazing to see how some of those athletes now are well behind where you and I are, even though maybe they were beating us in college. And then I've also noticed some of the middle of the Packers or some of the guys that never really stood out in college are doing Mm -hmm. huge things right now because they've stayed on it. And it's just so interesting because we're getting to that age, like you're mid-30s, I'm late 30s, and there's such a discrepancy in what has happened to the talent pool from our age class. And I see it through all my my ex-teammates. But then you start to see it play out, like, even with the guys who have stayed on it, who have trained hard all the way through. They've been doing it for 30 years, 25 years. Like, father time is starting to win no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's just, like, a little bit humbling to see that play out with the people who have stuck with it versus, like, the people you went to school with. And you know there's a discrepancy in lifestyle changes since but the ones who've been on it and you see a 10 second slower mile out of somebody than their true potential. And you go, ah, that guy's the same age as I am. Shit. You ever think it's that? hard to watch people age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it, like you said, it blows my mind. The people who are studs and now are, 
getting back, trying to get back into shape, you know, after a big weight swing or a big injury bout. But there are a couple guys. In fact, one popped up on my timeline. He just ran 229 in a marathon. Oh, wow. And this kid did not break 17 in high school in a 5K. In fact, until his senior year, I don't think he broke 19 in a 5K. And now he's running all of his 5Ks in a marathon faster than his high school PR. Wild. And I always like to think that if you follow a good progression through life, your high school mile becomes your college two mile. Your high school 5K can become your college 10K. Like you can double your distance that you used to be able to keep pace at. And he multiplied his 5K times eight. Sure. More times eight point something. He held, he went faster eight in a row compared to what he did in high school. And he's just been grinding away for a decade. And now he's, he's a sub 230 marathoner. I love seeing it that. Just blows my mind. How, how so often we say talent doesn't hide, but there are different types of talent, I guess. Yep. And some of them are revealed through hard work over years and years and years, which is a good reminder that a low season for, as a, who is that? Who kept saying mere mortals? Who are we talking to? Hmm. I don't know. Like, was that like a Yancey thing or something? I don't know who it was, but for the mere mortals. A down year doesn't mean much. You mm-hmm. might need a decade before you can see your talent. Well, sub 230, because I got my eye on that if I run the marathon. It's 544 mile pace, 26.2, and he ran just quicker than that. It's impressive. It's yeah. impressive, sir. For a guy who I don't think broke 440 in high school in a mile. Insane. Should we hop to our um, question and potentially our entire topic for the day, which this is going to look, look like, I believe, because... Something we didn't really think about or address when we've been approaching base phase and off season, and we've gotten this question a lot. It sounds like mm-hmm. three, four, or five times uh, recently. Yeah. So, one of our rules of thumb is that if our athletes or other people or both combined ask us the same question repeatedly, it's got to be <laughs> it's got to be addressed. Yep. So here's the question: How long is too long in base phase? This one comes from Caleb Conlin, but we've had probably five people ask this. If someone was willing to stay in base phase for 9 to 12 months, and I've heard someone ask two or three years to me, would there be a downside to that, aside from the mental component of not racing and possibly getting bored? I've been doing research, and I can't seem to find anything regarding a longer base phase than the typical 12 weeks and possibly up to 20. Wouldn't it be beneficial for a runner to build that mileage durability and time-developing aerobic efficiency? Poses a really good question now, doesn't he? Yeah. I feel like I could go two ways with this conversation if i had to let's start way one okay let's start way one what's your way one bracken my short answer is i think you could stay in base building phase as long as your little heart desires because isn't that what we advocate for young athletes anyways prioritize speed drills and aerobic development if they start running let's say we reference ingerbritsons a lot but Jakob started training legitimately at like nine. Something like that. Did he not spend like five years in base building waiting until he hit maturity to start doing a lot of their lactate threshold work? Now we could be off on some of that because we don't actually know the inner workings, but that's what middle school running is. Yeah. So yeah, you could stay in it for years. Why not? I always, I guess the, the one thing we don't know about this particular situation is what's on the calendar. If somebody's looking at 2022 as like, let's call a building year as we like to use, and they're not concerned about racing and 
and all of those things like there's nothing on the horizon yeah you can stay in it but what so yes the answer i feel like is you could stay in it for quite some time the the concern with that is efficiency at speeds in, in which you're eventually going to want to be a, very efficient at to race mm -hmm. so you have to ask yourself like how soon are races that matter coming up but for all intents and purposes you can continue to grow your aerobic base like Forget about biomechanical efficiency and what your body's like run economy does from like a movement standpoint. You just start to look cardiovascularly like your aerobic capacity. And hypothetically, you should continue to broaden the base of your pyramid by simply doing aerobic work. I don't know if I would risk my own fitness playing that out for a year, but in theory, it works. Yeah. And it would be fun if that was fun for you. If you really enjoy aerobic development training, a lot of long, easy stuff, a lot of medium, easy stuff, a lot of short, easy stuff, mm -hmm. easy, 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 easy day in and day out. It would be fun because you could play around with a lot of the little things. Uh, Ian Floyd and I were talking about this. He's, he's a guy that I work with who finished world's toughest and just really wanted to train another year to do world's toughest again. He's like, why don't we just do a nine month base build? And, and it, to an extent, we're going to do something like that. But we just started talking about speed sprinkles. <laughs> that was uh, one of the topics of our call. I was just going to bring that up and not use something so fruity to call it that. But go ahead. <laughs> speed sprinkles. <laughs> we're joking about it. Like, hey, we're just going to do some sparkly speed sprinkle work here. Where we just sprinkle little pieces. The, the, the technique work, the drill work, the skill work would become something that you could really get absorbed with of how can I fit the maximum amount of quote unquote quality work into no quality sessions, mm -hmm. just sprinkles of it. You could use that and you could develop for a long time in theory. Yep. That was the, the one concern and one suggestion I was, I was going to make was, um, I guess it speed sprinkles works. I don't have anything better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not saying that's like my trademark. Frame. No, it's not bad. You, maybe you should trademark it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you could extend it out and not worry about losing efficiency and like that, what we call like neuromuscular adaptation, which just means your body becomes efficient at faster pacing, simple things like once a week doing like 15, 30, 45 and 60 second pickups within your long run, but spaced out with enough easy work in between where you're not really getting a huge cardiac sustained response, but yet your body becomes familiar with faster pacing and just what it's like to, to work at those rates. Maybe even something as simple as like quarter mile repeats within a, within a run fartlek style with bigger rest where you're not again, sustaining that heart rate way up there for a while. There's ways around it. So I think if it was done masterfully, like we think of base phase training as just going out and running slow and steady every day, which isn't truly the case. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's not like every day needs to be a slog. There can be some purposeful work in there. And you can even start to implement threshold work, as you'd see on the running public training plan and like part two of base phase training. So point being like that fitness. And I don't know what he thinks of when he thinks of base phase or off season training. Like that fitness is ultimately going to get you 90 to 95 percent of the way there, especially with the speed sprinkles. So, yeah. yes, <laughs> yes, it's possible. So then there's the other school of thought, and I do not want to close the door on that first one, but the other school of thought is that these phases of training feed off of each other. There's Correct. this symbiotic relationship and this passing back and forth of energy where you base build and you grow your aerobic capacity and it gives you the ability to do better anaerobic work. 
And when you do better and more anaerobic work, when you return to base phase, you're more efficient at everything you've already done. And now you can grow higher. Like one ladder leads you up to the next ladder on the other side, back to the other ladder, and you keep progressing higher and higher. Now there's not, in, as far as I'm aware, there's not a ton of longitudinal studies done that show what happens if you go five years of one versus five years of the other. And it really, I think, does come down more to your mental capacity for sustained work. I think that if you had two people disappear for 10 years into the woods to two different cabins, and one of them just spent 10 years out there doing nothing but base building, seeing how big they could gradually grow up their volume and doing a lot of skill work, and the other person doing repeated back and forth cycles of training, you come out the other side relatively equal in terms of ability. You think so? I do. I really do think so. But the condition of your body might be different and the outcome might be different depending on what your natural skill sets are. Where someone with no foot speed, if they spend a lot, if they spent their 10 years doing aerobic development, they'd probably come out a grinder, but with still no ability to run a fast mile. Mm -hmm. Or someone with foot speed could disappear into the woods and do a ton of base building and come back dangerous across all distances. So I think it still would be dependent upon if you could stay mentally engaged the whole time and what your skill set already is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to ask this gentleman a number of follow-up questions to better answer his his question. But And I think he meant theoretically. Right. Well, see, and I, I've noticed throughout my career, and God, I think most people have had to notice this too, is is like eventually like your return on investment becomes a little bit less and a little bit less, right? Like mm-hmm. initially in the first, let's say two to three months, you're going to notice your aerobic capacity go up. You're going to notice your pace increase on your easy runs with your heart rate remaining the same. And you're going to be like, oh, I'm running 20 seconds faster per mile with the same heart rate response. And you might notice that by two, three months in, but then you're going to notice like the needle doesn't seem to be moving as far as like metrics go and then you get like a diminishing return on investment the same would go as if you went all in on speed work every week you'd see big improvements at first and then you'd see a diminishing return on investment that's why we periodize everything but so my reticency with like just sticking into a base phase for like six months nine months a year is like you're just not going to be as efficient with your time as far as moving the long-term needle forward Mm -hmm. as much because of that that lack of return on investment so like periodized cycles where we plan peaks, recovery, go back to base, peaks, recovery. In my experience, every time I've gotten through a cycle, taken down, like raced hard, trained hard, peaked, took off time, went back to base phase, rebuilt again, I always build, just like you said, higher the next time. Like my peak is higher the next time than it was the previous. It was like that in college. It was, it's was it been like that since I've resumed endurance training with like the Spartan career thing. Um, so... In my own experience, it's like the best bang for your buck long term is the stepladder approach, just like you you mentioned. But again, that's just my experience. I, I don't think I'm willing to stick my neck out there and base phase train for six to 12 months because mm-hmm. I have to imagine it's my return on investment is going to become minimal after the three month period. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I think that most people would agree with that. Most coaches and athletes would agree with that. Mm-hmm. With both pieces. One, we think that that just works better for us. And two, we're not willing to risk it. Exactly. But what if you didn't have to, what if you could test out and then hit the reset button and undo time? Like if you could keep retesting and undo it and not lose anything, 
would you find things out over time? Like, would you find that you degrade off base and then transitional base and then threshold work? And then you could reset from there and you didn't need your competition phase or like, what would we find over time? What, what is your ideal cycle? And I think that's something that most people don't find. And I think you could find that if you wanted to dedicate a year to base building, Mm -hmm. but you would have to be taking constant feedback. So you would have to, if I could script out an ideal plan for someone like Caleb, let's say we're going to dedicate unlimited time to this. We would start with the least amount of moving pieces and then add one piece at a time and track the response to it. So you'd start with just aerobic work and strides. I think you would have to have minimum some strides in there yep. weekly, biweekly, whatever it's going to be to keep the ability to turn your feet over quickly, efficiently, and not have your stride to start to slow. And then you would track with aerobic threshold tests and maybe some time trials every few weeks track your improvement and when the aerobic threshold tests and your time trials start to stagnate you would add one singular piece maybe that's a long run Mm -hmm. and then you keep going and see if that moves the needle and when that stops moving the needle now you add in 200s once a week this is a tangent not to interrupt your flow but don't you feel like because some people are like we are proponents of time trialing and in a process like this if you want to be super um, objective I always struggle with the frequent time trials because it's such a quality effort that's going to move your fitness needle. Like an all-out 5K can shake your body up metabolically and like bump you to another category of fitness, right? So like in theory, couldn't time trialing like every four weeks or so actually bump the fitness in a way and skew results, but you have to measure them somehow. It's like a little bit of a walking contradiction, isn't it? At least that's how I look at it. Yeah, it would be. And you might have to choose like a longer time trial, maybe a 10 mile loop. Yeah, it's fair. And run that every cycle or whatever it was going to be. And in, in time trial really is open-ended. It could be saying, I'm going out to run this, this five mile loop at 170 heart rate and stick to that every three weeks and see what your pace is throughout that. See, I like that better. Or if you really are doing this base phase training, uh, granted racing, I think is the ultimate goal, but it could be like, all right, I'm going to go run my 10 mile loop at 140 heart rate. I'm going to peg it and let's see what the results show. And then a month later, same thing. I'm still running recovery, but let's just see where my pacing lies yeah. when it's done. That, that way you could do it. I just get with those high heart rate efforts, which I love in this case, I'd be like, what does that do to the trajectory of yeah. improvement? Now, once every four weeks, it could be argued that that's not enough stimulus because we've talked about on here before that after 10 days of inactivity, your VO2 max starts to drop. And after mm-hmm. 20 days, your true overall performance starts to drop. So if every four weeks you're doing it, you're not driving much stimulus. And if you are, it's, it's leaving by the time you do your next one. Yeah, that's fair. But I, it's a valid concern and I would have that too. Yeah. So now you've added in 200s, maybe when that starts, stops push, moving the needle, then you add in some threshold of one tempo run a week or whatever it is. And so you'd have this gradual progression to what is base for your body. And mm-hmm. base training really just means you're not having big spikes of intensity followed by recovery. Like you're working on your aerobic development. And so if you gradually ease in, it's not really going to change your homeostasis level and training. So eventually you're going to get to the point where it's clearly not base anymore. But I think you would start to learn what which pieces 
sharply move your needle and which gradually move your needle and how long you can stay at them until the needle stops moving. But then you're right because the next time you cycle through, it's not going to take the same amount of time. It'll take less time. Right. Yeah. What do you think about the conversation of like diminishing returns on investment when it comes to um, like aerobic work or even speed work? If we're just talking like, okay, like, do we really think like if it's going to move the needle 1% more to stay in base phase it for six months instead of three months is 1% worth it, for example, whereas in the first three months, maybe you're, you're moving the needle five or 10% and then it slows down for me. I mean, as quick as like six weeks now, granted, I have a history of endurance training for the last 20 years. So my situation may be different than those listening, but like six weeks of anything, six weeks of just steady work. And I'm pretty much where I'm going to be before another stimulus can be layered in without before I start to like really move the needle. So in that theory, for somebody who's been training through cycles their entire life, um, I, again, in theory, I believe it could work, but like my part of me just wants to say like, it it could potentially be like a little bit of a, a waste of time, depending on your history and your, and how many bank account deposits you've already made in your life with your running, right? If you're newer to this and you're in your first few years, I guarantee you after nine months of base building, you are going to be a freaking better athlete than you ever have been. But if you're somebody who's gone through, like I have 50 peaks and mm-hmm. and resets in their career, it might be a little different. So I don't know. Well, you're right. I don't know. What I think personally is that your return on investment is across the board going to suffer as an athlete as you improve for sure the longer you go in anything skill work base building you know i don't care what sport you're talking about early on you make a ton of leaps forward and then you get to the point where you can't get any better without a significant improvement in a certain area it could be an engine it could be in form for a lot of things Mm -hmm. you look at for example rowing something i'm spending a little bit of focus on right now early on if i just get on and do workouts i get better at rowing But eventually I get to the point where my form is the biggest thing holding me back. I just can't transfer any more power with the current form that I have. But as soon as I dial in my actual skill throughout my entire stroke, now I can start building on workouts again. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens with running. At some point, you're going to get to the point where all the work in the world is barely going to move the needle for you. And that's where like the world-class racing coaches earn their stripes with milking out little half percents here and there where it matters. And then you got to reset and try to get everything perfect again and then milk it again. So yeah, eventually you're going to have diminishing returns. That's, that's just the fact that we deal with as humans that we don't linearly improve at really anything because it has to diminish. That's the reward of hard work. Like the harder and more consistent you work, which is a great thing. The needle moves a lot at first, and then you, you have to fight and claw for every millisecond the longer you, you're mm-hmm. at this thing. It's totally true, which seems a little, like, backwards. But, you know, we've talked in the past about, like, I tra- you trained a whole year, and I went from 356.3 to 354.7 in the 1500, which is under two seconds. And that was an admirable improvement. That was an improvement in which we were very happy with and that was one point what does that come out to i don't know seven seconds yeah can you imagine if somebody told you like hey you're gonna train for an entire year you're gonna run six or seven days a week 
You are going to do three quality sessions a week. You're going to commit your life to this. And you're going to be 1.7 seconds better over a mile. <laughs> You'd be like, get lost. I'm going to do something else. It's kind of yeah. kind of how it works. In the Open 800 in college, I debuted at 157, like 8. And I finished my career at 153.3. That's a huge improvement. Over the course of 4.5 years, Kirk. <laughs> I cut off a second per year. And I was doing it. It's not an easy race, Bracken. But, it, but for perspective... 1.7 seconds in a 1500 or one second a year in an 800 might equate to a minute over, um, let's say, a 10 miler, which seems more profound. Then you get compounding interest where the gaps open mm -hmm. the longer the, the distance gets. But nonetheless. But yeah, a second. I dedicated four years of my life and each year netted me one second in return. Wild when you think about it, isn't it? But my first one I ran in, in eighth grade was 242. So... If you look at that, is that, what you, is that what you ran? Was that your PR in eighth grade, or would you run in eighth grade? I got down to two thirty-two. Um, I might have run two twenty-eight at the end of my eighth grade year. Not bad. Sub so five when pace. I started high school, I think my first one was two twenty-seven. So from the start of high school to the end of college, I dropped. What would that be? Twenty-seven and seven, thirty-four seconds. But from the start of high school to the end of high school, I dropped twenty-seven of those seconds. Right. So right. I still only dropped, you know, five. But seconds. see that, but that came quickly. The, the initial curve comes quickly. Uh, this is a bit of a tangent, I suppose, but I feel like it's relevant to the conversation of how long you stay in base phase, return on investment, mm -hmm. what's worth your time, how many builds and tapers have you gone through in your life. Yeah. All matters. But the second half of his question, I think, is the important driver of the big conversation, which is how much of those benefits come down to resistance to impact the versatility of your legs, the efficiency, your running economy, your just ability to withstand work. Yeah. Now that pays off dividends down the road because early on, let's say you spend 12 weeks in base phase and you move on from there. You probably arrive at the end of the next set of, next stage of work at the same fitness level, but you're less durable. Right. And that does come into play. You haven't expanded your long run as far. You haven't expanded your mileage as much. And those pieces are what allow you to do more in your workouts. And more importantly, or equally importantly, recover faster. If you look at the pros, and if you take away the potential that a lot of the pros are taking performance-enhancing drugs, the biggest difference between their training schedule and everyone else's is that they fit more quality in. Right. They're hitting a lot more quality sessions because they can regenerate and recover like crazy. And part of that's natural. And part of that is a giant body of work leading up to that point. So where a 17-year-old Kenyan might be able to run 349 in a mile and a 27-year-old Kenyan might be able to run 349 in a mile. In between there, what they did to get there is going to look much different, which is going to translate to the 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon distances much differently because of how much extra volume that 27-year-old's been able to do. And so in the mile, they might be equal, but the, the higher up it goes, the more disparity there's going to be. And generally, for the general running public, no one cares about the short distances. The shortest anyone ever mm -hmm. runs is a 5K race, and people target longer distances, which is where a lot of these other kind of ancillary benefits start to really pay off for you i think you nailed it with the uh the key being resistance to impact especially with mm. my assumption is that most listening run longer races and that's going to be the big difference maker if, if quality and 
and getting into some spicy stuff means you go from 50 miles a week down to 30 or 40, 35 miles a week. Or if you stay in your base phase and you can run 50, 60 miles a week extended, what is that going to do for your durability and resistance to impact? It's going to do a ton. It's a very good point. Yeah. I like that point. Well, I, I think there's this in-between concept where I think is the sweet spot for most people. I call it transitional base with my athletes where you leave normal base training, but you're not to the normal next stage. It's where you start having all the pieces of what you're going to do next, but you're just getting used to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that stage, a version of that stage is the one you can spend the longest in. And you start to kind of morph that stage because we've talked about, we believe you can do threshold work year round. If you space your workouts out a little more and you never get too spicy, you, you save all true intensity work for either the weight room or short little speed sprinkles. Mm -hmm. And you save your quality work for either threshold or long runs and no more than one of each per week. You stay in that kind of like base plus phase mm -hmm. where you're doing more work than usual base but you're not doing enough work to actually need peaks and valleys. I think that's the yep. stage that you can stay at for months or even years at a time and kind of drive a lot of the best versions of both phases at once. And then you just have these little micro fluctuations yep. in volume and intensity to make sure that you don't stagnate. That's where I think this kind of brings us to. It's exactly where I'm at with my training right now. Yeah. And it's a great place to be. Like the MVP product. Minimal viable product. Yeah. In the business world, it's Min yeah, minimum viable product. I think that's what runners should strive for. Too often we strive for the maximum viable product. But for sustainability and build purpose, that minimum viable product, whatever moves your needle with the least amount of yep. intensity so that you can maximize your body of work for a long time. You know what I call that, which it doesn't really make sense, um, but it's how my brain works, is it's like a race-ready plan in the sense where I feel like on that type of training, three weeks, three weeks, and I think we could put together a race. If you said, I got a race in three weeks, you, you've worked your threshold, you have durability through your long runs. If mm -hmm. we can add three weeks of purposeful work, I think we can get you pretty close to where we need to be on race day. And I have a lot of my athletes that are going to be doing that for Jacksonville coming up. It's like, hey, we're going to squeeze all the lemonade out of this lemon for for base phase as long as we can and we're going to do like a three-week crash course and we're going to get you like 90 percent of the way there and i like that phase because it's true you can basically snap your finger and you know you're a responder like i'm a responder but three to five weeks out you could get yourself as close to a i don't want to say a peak but you could be on your way there pretty quickly from that sort of training yeah. but not burn out at the same time and that's a lot of my purpose for this year these first 10 weeks are establishing what is my MVP cycle? Is this the work that I feel like is super sustainable and has room for growth? Mm -hmm. I don't want to get done with this and be like, that's about all I could handle. I want to think, oh yeah, I could, I could move up if I want to. But that be a month away from any distance is a really good goal for long-term development. Yep. Which generally means you have to train more to the volume end than to the speed end because you can sharpen up speed in three to five weeks. You can't sharpen up a long run in three to five weeks. So if you're always ready for a half marathon-ish distance, you can kind of go anywhere you want. So that being three to five weeks away from any race that someone could drop in your lap is like my definition of the best year-long base build you could do. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I can't pick many holes in that, Bracken. And I think I would still build six to eight 
normal weeks of base to start that. For sure. And then transition into that base plus or that MVP uh, schedule, whatever that is, that I could sit in this for a year, for two years, for three years, and I'm not going to stagnate, but I'm never going to be too sharp. I know that we sort of like, we kind of answered his question, you know, there's, I don't feel like there's an objective way to answer this question because he's right. There's not a lot out there on it because I don't know how many people wanted to potentially sacrifice their potential Mm -hmm. or fitness for for that study. However, um, I know we've beaten this, um, you know, plenty into our listeners' heads about base phase and why it's important and what they should do. But why don't, for those who forget, should we just like really quickly give them what we think is appropriate? Even though we've been hinting at it, I just think we should end with like sort of the fundamentals again because I would assume um, now that racing is starting to pop up, whether you're a road racer, um, trailer, or OCR, um, we're starting to transition out of that base phase. And I think people are asking themselves, like, have I done enough or am I sitting in this too long? Um, I have a number of athletes who self admittedly are getting antsy to the fact, like, oh, my first race is less than a month out and I haven't done anything beyond tempo runs or threshold runs mm-hmm. and they're like do they make a mistake or not so like what do you think about what do you think about that like just the conversation of what's appropriate right now i think at the end of the day the point of base training is to prepare you for what comes next and that's it generally for people that means faster more intense work and so you need your general aerobic engine built up as well as you can and so if you have accomplished that goal you're set. But all that comes down to this whole conversation stems from like, what is your training age? Where, where are you on your timeline of lifelong athletic development? The closer you are to novice, to beginner, the longer you can stay there with no worries. The closer you are to expert level or lifelong learner who's been learning a long time, Mm -hmm. the less you have to spend there to be prepared for your next stage. So the newer you are to it, the less you have to worry that I've spent too much time there and the quicker you're going to respond to things anyway. I could not agree more with the training age thing. I think if you're in the, in the first like one to three years of your endurance world and you picked up this sport, you know, later in life, meaning like post high school or college, erring on the side of longer with your base phase training or just getting out and putting time on feet is going to pay off and you're not going to lose your return on investment nearly as quickly as somebody who's been at this for two decades like Bracken and I have um, that it's probably the best way to put it. If you're on the fence about like, how long should I stay in this? And can I just go run steady and easy for a long time? I think just answering that question, and I don't know if there's a definitive amount of years of endurance training I could point at, but you typically see those newbie gains a lot in the first year or two, simply from time on feet. Mm -hmm. And then you got to start being more of a puppeteer with your training and really focus on the periodization. So I like it. That's a good way to put a bow tie on, on like the proper way to look at this, I think. Yeah. If I were new to the sport, to running, to trails, to ultras, to OCR, I might even make it a challenge to myself that for the first year or two, I would try to do all of my racing off of base and skill work. That if there were race components I needed, like uphills or downhills or or compromised running or, or whatever it is, I would try to see how much benefit I could drive from solely gym and skill work mm-hmm. and keep all my running to aerobic development. Because I think that you would get to year three and have performed pretty much just as well as the other camp, but you'd be farther ahead in your development. Yeah. And I still think now you and I could both do that. In what sense? Like, how would that look? Like, if we just ran volume and did 
you know, gym work, circuit work to handle our other pieces and either raced a lot or used one pointed workout a week. I think we'd be just fine. One thing I, I, I think and feel pretty strongly is that the vast majority of people spend too much time throwing a bunch of different eggs at the wall, thinking yep. that I just need to spend more time feeling the way I feel in a race because I need to be able to handle that feeling better. And that's just generally not true. It's the components that all make up that feeling that you need to be better at, and then you'll naturally tolerate the feeling better. It's not put yourself in race feeling as much as possible. It's spend as much time as possible working on the components of the race and then only go race feeling as you get closer to the race. Yeah. I think that's a single biggest mistake a lot of mixed modality sports make. Well, it's understandable. Everybody feels urgent to improve and they, you know, keep a close eye on what the pros are doing or they see a workout posted and they're like, that's going to make me better. And sure, it may in the short term, but if you're talking long-term development, especially for a newer athlete, um, I would have to agree with you. That's tough though, because if you're coaching or somebody, or if they're just simply making their own training plan, like practicing patience is really tough, especially early when you're eager. So that's a, I don't see that model followed very often. I just saw this last week on a coaching consult I did, Kirk. And it reminded me that the, my single biggest like, cringe moment I get when people send me their training plans of what they have been doing or critique this for me or this is what my old coach had. My single biggest thing I don't like seeing is when there are like four or five race-specific exercises they've done every week. Mm. Where Monday they do this big, long, heavy carry and easy run. And then Tuesday they're doing intervals. And they're, Wednesday they're doing a high-intensity circuit. And Thursday they're doing this OCR sim day. And Friday they're doing easy. And Saturday they go to the local gym and they run an OCR sim and they mm. follow it up. with like It's just they're trying to spend so much time doing the exact demands of the race that they never actually develop all the little pieces. Yep. And then they're sprinkling in like a little too much stimulus too consistently and it can all get kind of jumbled. I do agree with that. When I look at it and think I couldn't survive your training, I just couldn't. You shouldn't be doing it either. Not that I'm the end all be all of athletes, but if your training scares me, there's probably an issue there. Yeah. Yeah. You see that a lot, don't you? Especially with the Sims over the weekend when Mm. people have their groups and they get together, which can serve a great purpose. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think there's also a point in which um, you get a smaller return on investment there too. So um, anything else you want to add to this conversation? I don't think so. I think be honest with yourself about your training age. Yeah. And if you have to err early on in your career, err on the side of let's see how long I can wait before getting specific rather than let's see how much specificity I can add in. I agree with that. It's a tough challenge, but I don't think anyone would regret it. I mean, the more work you have to do to get better means you're just earning yourself even more work in the future, so to speak, to get better yet. It's it's mm-hmm. one of those tricks we fall into. Like you suddenly think you have to run 70 miles a week to be good, but like where the heck do you go from there after you've done that for a while? Um, l- less stimulus is actually more. And the less you can get away with means that you have more doors to still open in the future when you need to improve. You haven't opened all your doors or played all your best cards yet. Um, which actually can put you on top quicker, you know, when it's all said and done. Yeah, I love that. Because it's not that we think 70 miles a week is bad, but we think that 70 miles a week when 50 would do means mm-hmm. that when you get to the point later on, now you have to hit 80 
to drive stimulus rather than yep. only having to hit 60. Yep. It's the same way, like, it works with, and not to make, like, a booze reference, but, like, the more you drink, the more you have to drink to get the same feeling. Or if you do any sort of drug or anything, it's it's sort of the, the your body becomes used to it and requires more and more. And the same goes for training stimulus in the sense where, like, well, if you're doing one quality workout a week and then you feel like you need to do two, and then you're like, well, if two is good, three is better, and then pretty soon you're doing all of this, and you're just overloading your body to get literally the same feeling and the same result that you could have got off of one. And honestly, physiologically, we work the same way. I've gone through periods of time with training like that, and it's, a, it's just an interesting concept. Well, that and that's exactly it. You should make it a game to see how long can one drink <laughs> make me feel this way but training wise we're correct not like oh shoot i want a second drink no no let's see how many weeks in a row you can take one drink in in workouts mm-hmm. and still feel that little bit of workout buzz it's true um look at that all right i want to end this thing with an ask of our listeners okay i, I went back and looked at our podcast platforms um just like the major ones to see and man bracken have we stalled out on new ratings and reviews <laughs> I mean, it had, it has come to an embarrassing halt. I mean, we, we, we asked around our birthday last year, which was in May. We really kind of sold out a little bit asking for people if they were listening to, to review. And so many people stepped up and reviewed and rated for us. But I feel like in the rankings, we've stagnated um, and some of those things. And we just haven't gotten much of a response lately on the ratings and reviews front. And if you're a new listener or you've been listening and, and haven't taken the 30 seconds to two minutes to either click a star or write a review um, would really appreciate it. I looked back and I was like, man, we just, we haven't gotten much recently. And so a personal ask, it's not my birthday. There's not, no real reason to do it other than if you got a second and you listen to the podcast and like it or don't. It was Lisa's birthday Friday. Hey, do, do it, for, it for Lisa. <laughs> do it for Lisa. There you go. All she wanted for her birthday was her new phone. And since we can't have that, give her a review. I guess, yeah. Anybody's birthday, I guess we'll bring this up at. <laughs> I can hold off till May again. <laughs> Actually, Jess's birthday's in March, so maybe. All right. Well, maybe. I need to go finish my my midweek Monday long run because I have a plan to stick to. That doesn't. All right, that doesn't make any sense to me, but sounds good. You Bracken. can't get off track on day one, Kirk. I agree. Finish it out. All right, people. Thanks for listening, and I'm going to be looking at those reviews and reading them. So if you write them, I'll be very appreciative. Till next time. See ya.